You know, let's, let's just let the Lord lead us and guide us in everything. As Father, is t- right now we, we have a Bible study, and we thank you that we have this time in your word, and I pray that you touch our hearts, and Lord, to, to stay close to you, to be seeking you in everything. And Lord, I thank you for this time that we have together. And I pray that, Lord, as we are in your word, that we take just a moment, make sure our ringers are off our phones. We want to be free from distractions. And Lord, we want to hear from you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Matthew chapter 26, if you'll turn there, we're going to begin reading at verse 57. And as I mentioned last week, we really are on holy ground here as we see Jesus in his final hours before he's pinned to that cross there on that hill called Golgotha, Calvary. And we know that he spent his last evening with his disciples celebrating Passover. And the disciples don't fully understand everything that's going on. They, Luke's gospel tells us they came in disputing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus would gird himself with the towel and he would wash the feet of the disciples. And he said, I've done this as an example for you. If you want to be great in the kingdom, it's about washing feet, it's serving others. Matter of fact, he had told them previously that if you want to be great in the kingdom, be the servant of all. And as Jesus began to speak to them, we know that the religious leaders, they had been plotting, they're planning how to put Jesus to death. But they're thinking, we can't do it during the feast because there would be an uproar of the people. Well, they got their break as Judas went to them, as we saw in this chapter in verse 15, that he went to the religious leaders for the purpose of betraying Jesus. What will you give me if I deliver him into your hands? And they would give him 30 pieces of silver. It was the break that they were looking for. And and so Jesus, in that upper room with the 12, he would say to them that one of you is going to betray me. And I find it very fascinating and interesting that the disciples, they had no idea that it was Judas. They weren't looking to him. They weren't saying it's got to be him. He's the one, you know, with the shifty eyes and, and, and the bad attitude and all of this. They gave him the money. He's the one that held the money bag, as we know from John's gospel. They trusted Judas. So they have no idea that Judas is the betrayer. And Jesus went on to say that all of you are going to be made to scatter, to run away because of me this night. And he would quote from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, as it tells us that I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And Peter would then at that time, he would begin to boast how I'm not going to run away. These other guys might do that, but I am going to stand by you. I'm going to be faithful to you. I will even die for you. So we know the story as we're going to read today that Peter would deny the Lord. And as he does, we read about his denial and the things that would lead up to Peter denying the Lord that I think are very important for you and for me to consider here this morning. So let's begin to read that as we go into verse 57 of Matthew chapter 26. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. So here is Jesus. He's bound up. Remember that Judas, as we ended last week, came with a detachment of troops to lead Jesus away. Now, keep in mind that these are the temple troops. It's not the Roman troops. The, he's going to be handed over to the Romans in the next morning. And Jesus is bound up uh, by these, these temple soldiers that are working for the high priests for the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin Council. 
And Jesus is going to begin a series of trials as he's bound up there in the garden, taken back across the Kidron Valley to Caiaphas' house. Now we know as we put the gospel accounts together, that Jesus would go through a series of six trials. He would go through three religious trials and then three civil trials. And the first trial that he would actually go before was Annas, Annas the high priest. Now, sometimes people read the Bible and they say, well, the Bible's contradictory and there's, you know, there's, um, you know, the, the Bible's not true and all of this because the Bible says there's two high priests. There's Annas and Caiaphas. Well, if you know your history, Annas was really the power behind the high priestly office. And Annas was the one that was in charge, as we talked about previously, of the selling of the sacrifices and the exchange of money. Because when Rome came in to take power, there was no king in Israel. That ended with, with the last king of, of, of Judah when the Babylonians came in. And so there's no one sitting on the, the dynasty, the throne of David. The next one is going to be Jesus Christ, of course. But there's no king here in Israel. So they see the leader as the high priest. And when the Romans came in, they didn't care about the qualifications of a high priest. They didn't care about you know, the religious uh, status of the high priest. All they wanted was that high priest to be, number one, somebody who would work with Rome. And then second of all, uh, we're going to give it to the highest bidder uh, who can bid for the high priestly office. And that ended up being Annas. Annas was making a lot of money in the selling of the sacrifices for Passover and then the exchange of money. So he's getting rich. He buys the high priestly office, and then he's able to buy it for five of his sons, one of them being Caiaphas, his son-in-law. So Annas is the power behind the high priestly office, Caiaphas is the official high priest that year. So there's, there's no contradiction. Um, if you know your history, Jesus then was taken to Annas, the high priest, first. And Annas wants to see Jesus. He's very upset that Jesus had come into Jerusalem that week, overturned the money changers' tables, drove out those who sold the sacrifices, and he rebuked the religious leaders publicly. He said, you have made my father's house, which is a house of prayer, into a den of thieves. So Anna wants to see him first. And as Jesus is responding to Annas, we know that the servant of Annas comes over and hits Jesus. So the physical beatings and suffering of Jesus begin at that point. He is then taken to Caiaphas, as Matthew picks it up here, and he's standing before the Sanhedrin Council, the Jewish Supreme Court, made up of 70 members of Pharisees and Sadducees. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, if you've been with us in our study of Matthew here, we know that they were two religious sects of leaders in the nation. The Pharisees, about 6,000, they believe, in the land. They were the ones that were dedicated to keeping the most minute details of the law that the scribes had interpreted, and many of the scribes ended up becoming Pharisees. And the Pharisees were always, you know, of course, arguing with Jesus, disputing with Jesus, clear up early in his public ministry in the Galilee. And one of the, the biggest, you know, traditions of the Pharisees uh, that they were just really into is keeping the most minute details of how to keep the Sabbath perfectly. And of course, the scribes came up with all these different rules and regulations. So Jesus there, his disciples are plucking heads of grain there on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees see that and they say, hey, you can't do that. That's unlawful. You can't do that on the Sabbath day. 
And that confrontation would uh, begin to increase and get, you know, uh, grow as it continued into the synagogue. One of the rules that the Pharisees had was you cannot heal on the Sabbath day. And as we saw just a few weeks ago, that when Jesus healed that man with a withered hand in the synagogue in Capernaum, that it tells us according to Mark's gospel that the Pharisees, along with the Herodians, which were more of a political party, were determined to put Jesus to death. So they've been plotting, they've been planning. There's an urgency that is here. They get their break with Judas that handed Jesus over to those temple you know, uh, soldiers. They bound him up. He's before the Sanhedrin council. Now keep in mind the scene here. It's not only the 70 members that are there, but all the advisors that are there, the soldiers that came back with Jesus, you have the servants out in the courtyard. So this is a packed out place here as we see Jesus is brought and he goes before the council, the Jewish Supreme Court. And then Peter followed him at a distance, we read in verse 58, to the high priest's courtyard. And he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. So Jesus bound up, now standing in the midst of the Sanhedrin, inside Caiaphas' house, Meanwhile, on the outside, the outer courtyard, there was Peter sitting with the servants. He's warming himself at a fire. What is interesting, when we go to Israel and take our trips, we go actually to where Caiaphas' house was, and they excavated some of the, the original stones that are 2,000 years old that were part of the outer courtyard of Caiaphas. And then there's another very fascinating excavation that they found, a holding chamber that they would hold people if they kept them overnight or in jail. The, you know, they kept Jesus overnight until they handed him over to the Romans. So they found that out, and that's a study for another time. But it, it's very fascinating to go there. So Peter, we're going to see, he's going to fail. As most of us know the story, he's going to deny the Lord. And we've been seeing some of the things that lead up to him denying the Lord. Now, keep in mind, he boasted. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never, you know, run away. I'll, I'll even die with you. And when they came into the garden, it was Jesus that told Peter, James, and John, those three, he said, you stay here. I'm going to go over there and pray. And Jesus, he was exceedingly sorrowful, it tells us. He, he was deeply distressed, even to the point of death. And he's praying, Father, great, you know, drops of blood that's falling from him. He said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he comes back and he finds Peter and those guys sleeping. And he said that, couldn't you watch with me for one hour? Peter, here you're, you're talking about how brave you are and boasting and all of that. You can't even watch with me for one hour. Watch and pray lest you enter into the temptation. For the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And as he went back to pray, he came back three times and he found them sleeping. And finally, it was Judas that showed up. Peter wakes up in a stupor and he begins to react out of the flesh, out of his own energies. And as we talk about these things, keep in mind that here is Peter, that it's chilly in Jerusalem. It's a spring night. He's warming himself at the fire but in his heart and in his soul, there's a chill that's there. He's feeling chilly. And as we go over these things that, that I think led to Peter denying the Lord um, that would move him in that direction, not only was he reacting out of the flesh and some other things that we're going to be looking at as we continue in the text here, 
but there was a chill in his heart and soul. And the same thing will happen to you and to me if we are ones that, that we are trying to react out of the flesh, trying to do things in our own effort and our own strength and our own understanding. Because we can go through life as a Christian and I'm going to do things this way, Lord, and I'm going to go in this direction and I am going to do things in my own energy and my own flesh. And if we are that way, then not only are we headed in a direction that's not good, but you're going to feel chilly inside your heart. You're going to feel cold spiritually, and that's what's happening here. So it's important for us to stay close to the Lord. And the way to do that, there's no secret. You know, I see books in Christian bookstores. The secret to successful Christian life, there's no secret about it. To be in the Word of God, to be a man and woman of prayer, to be one that is with God's people, to be rejoicing in the Lord. And Peter, not only is he cold physically here, but spiritually. So I want to ask us all a question this morning, really, in the honesty of your heart, not to condemn, not to, to be judgmental or any of those things, but honestly, and this is for me as well, can I ask you this? Was there a time that you were closer to the Lord? Was there a time when you were just excited about the Lord? You were hungry for His Word. You were serving the Lord out of just awe and wonder and love for Him. And then something happened. Perhaps the schedule began to get crowded. All the activities and the cares of life and hobbies and everything else that we get caught up with. Maybe it's been difficult times and maybe it's been challenging times. And pretty soon you see that you're following Jesus from a distance. You're still following Him. But no longer are you close at hand. And here is Peter. We see he's sleeping when he should have been awake and he should have been watching. And he ends up waking up. And as Jesus says, Arise, my betrayer is at hand. And he, he wakes up and he pulls out a sword and he gets an ear. He's following now the Lord. Notice here, as we read, from a distance. He's no longer close at hand. I have that marked in my Bible. He followed the Lord from a distance. And all of this leads to what Peter is about to do, and that is deny him. And that's why the Bible tells you and I that we are to take heed. Paul writing to Timothy says, Timothy, take heed, take heed. He's not saying that you're to focus on self. You are to exalt self, and it's all about self. He's saying, Timothy, take heed to yourself. Take heed to yourself. In other words, take care of yourself spiritually. Be watching. Be, be discerning, be sober, be vigilant. All those things that we have been talking about over the last few weeks that we are to do. Be walking in the Spirit. Be steadfast. Continue to abide in Him. And as we continue reading here in verse 59, now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put Him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God in the building in three days. So this trial is totally illegal. First of all, number one, that they were forbidden this council to meet at night. Jewish law stated that the, any Sanhedrin council meeting must be held during the day. The second thing is that they were meeting in the wrong place. 
They were to meet in the official place called the hall, not in the house of Caiaphas under the cover of night. And then thirdly, they were prohibited by law from reaching a verdict on the same day. And here immediately, the high priest Caiaphas yells out, he's guilty, deserving of death. And all of this, plus you have the, the witnesses coming, the false witnesses. They couldn't even agree on their testimony. There is so much discrepancy that it becomes very obvious that they're lying or something very serious is wrong with their testimony. And then the last two witnesses come and testify. He said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and the building in three days. Now, we know from John chapter 2 that Jesus told the religious leaders in the first cleansing of the temple that the religious leaders said, by what authority and whose authority do you do these things? Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days, I'll, I'll raise it up again. And they're thinking, well, it took us all these years to build this temple, but he's talking about the temple of his body, that, that I'm going to rise after three days. So they didn't understand he was referring to the, the resurrection. And in verse 62, and the high priest arose and said to him, do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you um, under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and the coming of the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes, verse 65 tells us, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered and said, He's deserving of death. So Jesus, under oath, the high priest asked him, Are you the Son of God? And Jesus says, It is as you said. And you're going to see me sitting at the right hand of the Father, and I will come in great power in the clouds of heaven. Jesus saying, I am the Son of God. I'm the son of the blessed. And the high priest hears that and he tears his clothes. And he's spoken blasphemy. He's deserving of death. And then they spat in his face and beat him. And others struck him with the palm of their hands, saying, prophesy to us, Christ. Who's the one who struck you? So the other gospels tell us they covered his face. He couldn't see. And he's taking these blows. And when you can't see a blow coming, you take the full brunt of that blow. And they're spinning him. They're spitting in his face, which it's the ultimate insult that you can do to anybody. And they're saying, prophesy, who struck you? And I just picture it as all of their anger, all of their animosity, all of their bitterness all of a sudden comes out. And they begin to punch him out. They begin to, to spit in his face. They're mocking him, prophesy, who hit you and all of this. And he's deserving of death. But he wasn't. Because he lived a perfect life. And it is you and I that are deserving of death. But those of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're not going to experience it. Because Jesus tasted death for you and I. He's the one that went to the cross and died for you and I. The ones that are deserving of death. But we won't experience that as spiritual death. Because Jesus made atonement for our sins and he rose from the grave. Now remember, while all of this is going on, Jesus inside, they're beating him. And the, the sufferings of Jesus are intensifying. Peter, he's out in Caiaphas in a courtyard while this is taking place. He's warming himself at the fire. That's where we left him. And you may recall again that Peter boasting that he will never deny the Lord. We see now the denial of Jesus by 
Peter in verse 69. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely also you are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Peter, who has pulled out that sword, as we saw, cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. That was a pretty brave thing for Peter to do, wasn't it? I mean, when you look at Peter's life, he, he had some courage. I mean, there was a storm on the Sea of Galilee, and when Jesus went out walking on the water, remember we went over that? And, and the disciples all say, as they were exceedingly fearful, they said, it's a ghost. Jesus said, don't be afraid, it is I. And Peter, and I, I want to ask Peter this, you know, whether I'll care or not when I get to heaven, but I think now, you know, I'd love to ask Peter, what was going through your head when you said, if it's you, Lord, command me to come out on the water? I mean, who does that? Who thinks those kinds of things? Peter did, obviously. And it took a lot of courage for Peter to step out of that boat and walk on the water. And, of course, he got his focus on the, the waves and the wind and the rain and all of this, and he began to sink. But it took a lot of courage for Peter to be able to walk out on that water. It took a lot of courage for Peter to pull out that sword and cut off Malchus's ear. But here, here, all of a sudden, fear begins to grip his heart. All of a sudden, his courage and his boldness for the Lord begins to melt away. I don't know him. What are you talking about? I don't know the man. You're one of them. Your speech betrays you. I want to remind us that in those areas that sometimes we think we're so strong in is those areas that we can fail in. He showed a lot of courage at one time, and here he's scared of a little girl. Moses, he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. That's what the scripture says. And what happened to Moses? He got mad at the people. They were thirsty. We want to drink, Moses. And Moses took the staff. He was just simply, you know, to, to you know, the staff was there. And he took the staff and, and he beat the rock with it. And he said, must I fetch water for you rebels? And the Lord said, Moses, come here. You misrepresented me. I wasn't mad at the people. The people are thirsty. So you're not going to go into the promised land. You get angry at the people. The one thing that, in one area that we think that we really got it together, what can happen is, is we're not really giving it to the Lord. We're not really seeking Him. We're, we're doing it out of our own energies and flesh. I got this, Lord. I'm okay. I'm strong in this area. And it's those very areas that we can fail in, the areas that we think that we got it really together. Because we're not relying on the Lord. We're not depending on the Lord. It might be an area when it comes to the family, to your business, whatever the case may be. Even in ministry. Man, things are happening. Things are really going well. And we begin to have confidence in ourselves rather than confidence in the Lord. And so Peter fails here. What I see here is we've talked about that he should have been watching. He, he should have been praying, but he wasn't. He was sleeping spiritually. That's number one. Jesus had taught his disciples that men ought to always pray and do not faint. 
and how often we can face difficult situations and we end up fainting rather than praying. And you've talked to people, and I know that I have, that they'll come and they'll say, I'm just so overwhelmed and, and I got all these problems going on and I don't know what to do. And Pastor Jeff, what do I do? And I said, listen, have you prayed about this? Well, I haven't. I haven't had time to do it. I just, we're going to stop and pray. We're going to seek the Lord. And then we're going to look at his word, what he has to say about your situation. Men ought to always pray and do not faint. Be seeking the Lord. Secondly, what we see as a factor in Peter's denial is here he is in Caiaphas' courtyard. Listen, this is important. And he's warming himself at the fires there. And I just want to remind you and me, and there's wisdom in this, not trying to be legalistic, but listen, don't be warming yourself at the world's fire. And if you are constantly at a place where you're warming yourself at the world's fire, then it's just a matter of time as a child of God that you're going to get burnt. You're going to get hurt. There are some places that a child of God has no business being because you're meddling to your own hurt. It reminds me of Second Chronicles chapter 25, Amaziah. He was the king of Judah. He goes to war against the Edomites. He has victory. He's feeling pretty good about himself. He's feeling really confident. For some reason, he sends a message up to the, the king of Israel, the ten northern tribes, and he says, I want to go to war against you. I'm going to come up and battle you. And, and so the king of Israel sends him a message back and says, listen, enjoy your victory with the Edomites, but stay at home. Don't meddle to your own hurt. Well, the king of Judah refused to listen to that. He goes to war against Israel, and he got his clock cleaned. He was defeated. It was bad news. There are some places and some things that the Lord says that you're to stay away from and don't meddle to your own hurt because you're going to get burnt. You're going to get burnt by the world if you're constantly there warming yourself at the, the world's fires. So these things are leading to factors to Peter's denying the Lord. He's following the Lord from a distance. He was sleeping when he should have been praying. He's warming himself at the world's fires. He's out there in the courtyard, and a servant girl comes to him and says, you're with Jesus of Nazareth. I don't know what you're talking about. Another girl says the same thing. I don't know what you're saying. And the people begin to gather around Peter, and they say, surely you're one of them, for your speech betrays you. In other words, we know that you're a Galilean. And apparently the Galileans, which most of the disciples were from, had a special accent. The way that you speak, you have, you're a Galilean. You're one of them. You're one of the followers of Jesus. You know, we can tell sometimes where people are from by their speech, right? Their accent. We can tell if they're from the south, the southern draw, or from you know, New York, you know, kind of the northeast draw, whatever. And we may not always know where a person is from by their speech, but we can tell where a person is at spiritually with their speech. So what's been coming out of your mouth? What's been coming out of my mouth? Sometimes I see things from Christians on social media, I think, really? And remember that it was Jesus that would say that what proceeds out of the mouth comes from the heart. 
What are people hearing from you and from me? What comes out of our mouths? What it is that we're saying? Is it seasoned with grace? No corrupt word to proceed out of your mouth is what the scriptures tell us in Ephesians chapter 5. But what is grace to the hearer? And I hope and pray that we understand that the words that we speak can do a lot of damage, even as James says, like a fire. A little six ounces of muscle in our mouth you know, can do a lot of damage, and it will tell people where you're at spiritually. And then as we finish this morning, then a quick, quick note to end with. And then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Peter begins to curse and he swears and he denies, I don't know the man. Meanwhile, Jesus is inside Caiaphas' house being beaten, spat on. He's black and blue, spit running down his face. Luke tells us in chapter 22, I believe it's in verse 61, that as Peter's out there going blankety-blank, cursing and swearing, I don't know the man, that the doors of Caiaphas open up and they come and they lead Jesus out. And it tells us that Jesus looked at Peter and that's where Peter heard the sound of the rooster. And he would then remember the words of Jesus and he went out and he wept bitterly. He didn't just go out and shed a tear or a quick boo-hoo. He wept bitterly. He's sobbing deep within his soul. He thought that he had severed his relationship with the Lord forever. And I believe that when the Lord came out black and blue and spit all over him, and, and he looked at Peter, that it was not a look of anger or disgust. It was a look of love. Peter. And Peter, he just wept bitterly in his heart and in his soul. And he thought he had severed his relationship with the Lord forever. He didn't know there was going to be a John chapter 21 at that time. You know, in the resurrection of Jesus, that one of the Gospels tell us, as the angel said to the women, go and tell the disciples that the Lord will meet them up in Galilee and go and tell Peter, particularly Peter, Especially Peter. Go and tell him I'll meet him in Galilee. And you know the story, most of you, in John chapter 21, is the Lord restored and forgave Peter and said, Peter, feed my sheep and tend my sheep. And I've read a little footnote that is um, in one commentator at one time. When you go to Acts, he's there on the day of Pentecost. He's preaching 3,000 got saved. That's only 40 days after this time, Passover. And as Peter is preaching, he gives a powerful sermon. But there's some footnotes that you can read that there are those in Jerusalem in the early days of the church and that would mock Peter. You know how they mocked him? By the sound of a rooster. They would say, cock-a-doodle-doo. There may be people around you that think, all of a sudden, you're a Christian. You know, you're growing in the Lord, and they'll... Make the sound of a rooster in your ear, but you keep going. Because the Lord loves you and wants to use you, just as he did with Peter, even through his failings and all of this. And maybe you're here this morning, and you've been following the Lord from a distance. You've been asleep spiritually. You're finding yourself at the fires of the world, all these things that we've talked about, that the Lord is saying, I want you to come home.
to receive his forgiveness and love and grace. Call upon him, be submitted to him, committed to him. Repent. The Lord's desire is for you to draw near to him once again. Because he has so much for you in your life that the world is not going to give. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this incredible chapter, this portion of scripture that just has so rich and reminds us of so many important truths for your word. From your word given to us to stay close to you. And Lord, I thank you that we can be here this morning to receive from you. And I pray that right now as we get ready to come to the communion table, the communion is as we take of the elements, remembering how Jesus' body was broken for us, his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin in this new covenant. It is for the believer. I want to pray if there's anyone here, or maybe even you're watching online, you're at home or wherever you're at, or listening on the radio later, that you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. Listen, he loves you. He is your salvation. There is none other. And it is coming in faith and humility of heart and saying, Jesus, I have sinned. Forgive me. And I ask that you'd be my personal Lord and Savior. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. There's nothing that you can do in and of yourself to be saved. It's coming to Jesus in faith. That is the clear teaching of the New Testament. You come as you are. You repent. Change direction. And you come and you surrender your life to Jesus. He loves you. He came to give you life and life abundantly. And you can pray right where you are. Today is the day of salvation. That Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I believe you died on that cross for me. You rose again in your life. I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. I thank you for this new beginning. Thank you for bringing me into the family of God. In Jesus' name. And for all of us, as the communion elements are being handed out, that we would just, Lord, be in an attitude of worship, be in an attitude of rejoicing, of thanksgiving, of what he has done for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.